So all you need for the gold miners to be a good, um, a good investment conceptually is for gold and silver to hold more or less in their current range. You know, gold, anything above $1,700 is a profitable place for most of the big gold miners. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with monetary analyst John Rubino. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with John, in which he explains why the dollar is fast becoming dangerously devalued in a manner that could soon have very serious and long-lasting repercussions, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that John and our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. Oh, and if you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe to this channel by clicking on the red subscribe button below. And now, here's part two of our interview with John Rubino. So that's what you've got to worry about now. And because of that, you need expert advice that is not mainstream. You can't trust a traditional financial planner who's using you know, this cookbook formula to allocate your money to safely do that anymore. So you need somebody who's gonna you know, do what I said, look, look at the hard asset side of the spectrum and skew in that direction. And that's something that um, the average stockbroker or financial planner would say is kind of alien and, and excessively yeah. dangerous because it's not well understood. Uh, but you kind of have to take that con uh, the conceptual leap right now in that direction. And because most people don't know how to do that, it's helpful to have pros that do know how to do that walk you through it. All right. Well, you're setting the New Harbor guys up um, just beautifully. So they're going to mm -hmm. send you a really nice fruit basket after this uh, this video. Um, but before we get to them, John, let, let, let's scratch into gold for a bit, because I, I know that that's an area that you do know well and have mentioned both previously in this video, but in a lot of your, your prior work, it's something that you've said, it's one of the assets that's likely to be one of the best wealth preservers uh, given what's coming. And, and as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I, I think it's got potential to actually be a wealth um, enhancer, a wealth accelerant. Um, so, you know, anything you wanna say about either investing in the metals, your, your general outlook for them. And then um, I know you follow specific mining companies um, we're not giving specific personal financial advice here in this discussion. Anybody who hears a company that John's mentions should do their own homework uh, in determining whether it's a good fit for their portfolio or not. But John, if there are some companies that have your attention right now, I'd love to hear what they are. Sure. Well, gold and silver are, don't think of them as investments. Think of them as money. They're the forms of money that hum humanity has used to, um, to preserve wealth. Um, since the days of the Roman Empire and before, and they've they've held their value through all throughout three thousand years. Um, so they compete not with um, Google stock or Tesla or something like that, but with the money that is in your wallet and under your mattress and in your bank account. So the basis of a of financial life going forward needs a lot of cash, obviously, because obviously, you always need a lot of cash on hand. But that cash probably should be in the form of precious metals now in, instead of some kind of fiat currency that's gonna be inflated away by its government. Uh, so physical gold held in a safe place is really the bedrock of this new version of a, a financial life that we're advising people to adopt here. 
but you but we we are in an unusual time now where gold and silver could easily behave like investments in the sense that they just go through the roof pretty soon uh, because everybody realizes that uh, the financial side of the ledger is a disaster and they want to get into the real asset side and there just aren't enough um, ounces or tons of gold and silver to supply all the demand that will come from that and their prices will soar. So that could happen, but that's not why you buy gold and silver physically. You know, you buy it to preserve your purchasing power so that 20 years from now, what you put into it is still there. Uh, the way to more consistently actually make money and build capital in gold and silver is with the mining stocks. Uh, you know, you buy shares in a company that has a bunch of gold and silver in the ground um, and is because of that kind of a leveraged play on the metals. Um, so you had Rick Rule on the other day, who gave some very good advice. He was great, investing yeah. in Gold and silver stocks. And what he said was that, yeah, you know, you could put a, a huge amount of effort into finding junior gold and silver miners that nobody's ever heard of that'll go up a thousand percent. But you'll, you'll end up with a lot of losers in that process too, because most junior gold and silver miners um, actually go out of business. They, they never really pan out. Uh, and you can get almost the same return by just buying the very best quality stocks in the sector. And so he pointed out, you know, Franco Nevada and wheat and precious metals, which are a special kind of uh, gold and silver stock called a, uh, a streamer or a royalty company, where they don't actually dig the gold and silver out of the ground. They finance those little junior miners that we talked about. Uh, and then take a cut of what the junior miners produce on very favorable terms because they're, they're financing these junior miners at a time when the junior miners are desperate for cash. Um, because otherwise, you know, it, not very many people actually want to lend money to a, a gold miner that has never actually pulled anything out of the ground yet. So those guys go do that and they've made a lot of money doing it uh, with very little risk. So they're the best business model in the gold mining sector. Uh, but the big, really high quality, really successful miners are also good, like Newmont and Barrick and Agnico Eagle. You know, you, if, you, if you just bought a portfolio of those five stocks I mentioned, um, according to Rick Rule, who is, you know, the smartest guy in this space, bar none, um, you would do almost as well as a professional picking a wide portfolio of gold and silver stocks, maybe better than that professional. So that's that's fairly easy and fairly restful. You know, go buy those five stocks. And um, and you're probably protected against a lot of the crazy stuff that your government is going to throw at you going forward. Great, great. And I'm, I'm curious, and don't let me pressure here, but um, in some of our, you know, personal conversations, you've uh, highlighted a couple of interesting uh, individual smaller miners to me, um, and again, this is this is purely speculative money, folks. But um, you know, go, going after the the best of the best that Rick's list you know was about was really trying to capture the beta of the the, pre the precious metals mining sector, which Rick and many others, yourself included, think is is very high. And so, for most people, just going after it safely is the best bet. But if you know if you want to capture some of the alpha in, in the mining space, that's really where you get these smaller companies that you know they either have a discovery that really pays off or they have a mine that they've been getting ready. It finally goes into production and it turns out to be a really good producer. Um, these mining stocks can do unbelievably well. Uh, a lot of volatility, a lot of uncertainty. But I'm curious, uh, you know, 
I know Great Bear is a name that you've mentioned to me. Um, anything you want to say about that company or any other companies like it, again, that are just sort of on your radar as interesting ones to research? Yeah, and, and I, I should preface this by saying I do not take Rick Rule's advice. Uh, I'm just buying junior miners out there like crazy. I'm like a magpie now. I just, you know, hear about one to see about it and and, and uh, buy its stock. So I have this huge long list of, of junior miners, many of which are doing really well. Um, and here's an example. Great Bear, you mentioned, is, is a really good example of, of what happens when you find um, a, a junior miner that works out. Because um, two years ago, uh, Great Bear, which is a Canadian mining stock in, in the Red Lake District, which is a really prolific gold district in Canada, um, was this no-name, tiny little exploration company that uh, whose stock was maybe 39 cents a share US. Uh, but they found some gold and they found more gold and they found more gold after that. And now the stock is like $14 a share. So it's gone from 39 cents to $14 in two years, which is, that's a that's more than 20 times. I don't know what it is now. I've stopped keeping track. Oh, that's almost it. a cryptocurrency return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a Bitcoin-like arc. And what I think will happen with the junior miners is, first of all, the, you know, the great bears, the ones that actually succeed operationally, will be 10 baggers all over the place. It'll be very easy for them to be 10 baggers because the big companies, oh, the, the other part of the story for juniors is that the, uh, the financial fundamentals are great for large gold and silver miners. They're, they're generating a lot of free cash flow right now, but they're not replacing their reserves. In other words, they're pu pulling out more from the ground than they're finding with their exploration programs. So they have to get new reserves somewhere. So for them to be having lots of free cash flow coming in, and reserves diminishing is the best of all possible worlds for junior miners, because that means the big guys have to buy them out at some point. Yeah, that, that, that's almost not a guaranteed exit, but it's a highly likely exit. Highly yeah. likely. Like to, to take Great Bear. Um, now, that's what everybody's waiting for. You know, the, the Great Bear will, will uh, put out a phenomenally good set of drill results. And the market doesn't even care. No, nobody even cares about what they're finding now, because they've already found enough that a big takeover is guaranteed. So now everybody's just sitting there going, well, I'm not going to sell this, but I don't want to buy anymore either since it's up by 20 or 30 times. But I'm going to hang out and wait for that takeout, which will be a double or a triple, everybody thinks, from, from here. Um, so that's the future of a lot of good junior mining stocks. And then probably what happens concurrently is that all kinds of um, generalist money sees the action in junior miners and say and says oh i want in on this you know and so they start buying anything with gold or silver in their names and you get kind of a dot-com thing going where people don't even have to understand the nuts and bolts of the business they just have to know that it's in that hot sector and they want a piece of that hot sector so even the there might be a stretch where even the crappiest junior miners go up you know five or ten times just because they're in the sector it's it's like how everybody was buying cryptos for a while without understanding the slightest thing about what Dogecoin did or anything like that. Gold and silver junior miners could have that same kind of a dynamic at some point. So, you know, you, as a kind of a, a compulsive speculator, I can't not buy those things. Uh, but, but the average person has to, uh, to think about where they sit on the risk tolerance spectrum. And, um, you know, and, and they should probably have some junior miners in their portfolio and they just have to judge what kind of, of volatility they can tolerate. And if they can tolerate a lot, this is a pretty good place to speculate right now. You know, this is a place where fortunes will be made 
by the extremely brave. <laughs> yeah, and, and, so, and, and John, you're, you're really talking about like when the, the precious metals industry really has its next big bull run. And I know you've seen, you've been around to see previous ones. I just wanna underscore for folks, it's been a long time since the last one and the precious metals mining space has been a, it's been a, a capital destroyer for investors for much of the past uh, decade. So I just wanna make sure people are extremely eyes wide open about the risk factor that, that John is talking about in this space, um, which well, Adam, is, yeah, go ahead. Could, yeah, there's one thing that I, I want to add there before we uh, before we stop. But uh, right now, the fundamentals for the gold miners are actually really good because and that's where I wanted to get to, which is oh, yeah, we okay. we've had, we've had this 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 ten year of a really horrendous yeah. you know performance, but the industry has cleaned itself up. We're now seeing you know money come back into commodities. We're seeing you know currency devaluation by all this accelerated printing, all these things that seem to be sort of setting the constellations to a point where we could be seeing a next big run in, in the, the precious metal space. So with that backdrop, please say whatever you want to say. Yeah. So, so you, don't, you don't need the gold and silver going parabolic thing to happen for gold miners to be successful investments because they're already at current prices generating lots of free cash flow, which is all you, you know, what, what else do you want in a stock? other than free cash flow, right? Because they can raise their dividends, they can buy back stocks, they can make strategic acquisitions um, right now. And, and they're going to, and, or they, they, they already are doing that, but they will continue to do it on a, probably a, a growing scale as time goes on. So all you need for the gold miners to be a good, um, a good investment conceptually is for gold and silver to hold more or less in their current range, you know, gold, Anything above $1,700 is a profitable place for most of the big gold miners. So if gold stays there, which, um, you know, barring that stock market flash crash, gold ought to stay above um, $1,700 an ounce because the fundamentals are so good. And fundamentals for gold are basically how much money is the government creating out of thin air? How much debt is it taking on and encouraging the private sector to take on? And those are phenomenally positive numbers for gold and silver right now. Oh, and how, what are real interest rates? In other words, um, the interest rate on, say, the 10-year Treasury bond uh, minus the inflation rate. And uh, right now, it's, they're very negative. Negative interest rates are also very good for gold. Uh, so the fundamentals are great. And there isn't all that much needed from gold and silver for go the gold miners to be attractive investments. So it's, it's a really good time for this sector. Um, Right, well, one big well, risk, but. well, with that, John, if, if you're saying, look, you know, at current prices for gold and silver, the, the miners are making a good deal of money, it's a good, you know, they're, they're going to profit well from this. Um, putting on your prognosticating hat, where do you think gold and silver are headed in the next year or two? Uh, do you think they're going to hang out around these prices? Or do you think it's more probable they're going to be higher or lower? Well, see, if I, if I gave you some numbers, that would guarantee that the opposite move would happen. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just terrible about this, this year ahead stuff. You know, I've never been good at it. But, you know, the bigger trends are easier to discern than the short term trends. Um, right now, the fundamentals are great. And, you know, a target price for gold, um, anything less than $10,000, I think, would be unrealistic. It's, it's going to go that high and higher. And here's the math for $200 silver. Silver is about 28 bucks an ounce, or really 27 today, because it's down. Uh, but have gold go to um, 
$5,000 an ounce and the gold to silver ratio, which is how many ounces of silver does it take to buy an ounce of gold, go to 25 and boom, $200 silver. So it, it's very easy to, to have both of those things happen. You know, gold could easily go to $10,000 an ounce when inflation really starts to ramp up, which it seems to be now. And silver could go up more than that to some number that seems totally unrealistic right now. So uh, those are my long-term predictions. I have no idea whether it happens next year, the year after, or 10 years from now, but I think we get there based on the current trajectory of our financial mistakes. Got it. Okay. And so um, I think that's a very good way to answer the question. And, and really it, it solves what I was asking for, which is if the, if the miners are well positioned at these prices, um, they should be even better positioned at higher prices. And you seem to think the prices are going to be much, much higher at the end of this progression, however long it takes uh, in terms of the, the extreme devaluation in, in fiat currencies. So uh, presumably, uh, the miners should do well, at least well enough to keep up with the currency devaluation. But my guess is, and don't let me put words in your mouth, you think they might actually appreciate faster than the actual currency to value. You might, they might actually be wealth creators. Is that accurate? Well, I think they'll attract a lot of hot money, which tends to you know, lead to parabolic moves. So yeah, that kind of thing could happen. But you know, really, with, with a highly leveraged industry like gold or silver, um, where you know there's a lot of sensitivity uh, at the bottom line to the change in the price of the thing they're selling you get really absurd numbers when you think about what what the profit margin of a big gold miner would be if, if gold doubles from here you know the, the numbers don't even make sense they're so high um so yeah i mean that that's all in, in prospect out there these things could very possibly happen uh because the um each component is understandable and predictable. You know, gold ought to go up based on the amount of um, inflation that we're generating right now. That historically has been the way it's gone. Um, the gold miners should generate massive cash flow if gold doubles from here. I mean, that, that would just be, you know, they, they would probably see increases of five times in percentage terms what gold does from here. So if gold doubles, you know, it would be... Uh, 500% increase in, um, in the rate of growth of cash flow for these guys. So, you know, the numbers could get um, into the realm of almost a silly prediction. You know, you, you don't want to predict something like that because you could be so wrong if you're wrong. But, uh, <laughs> these numbers are totally defensible based on some very reasonable scenarios out there. All right. Well, John, look, thank you so much for sharing all that. I could talk with you forever. Uh, I'm sure the audience would love for me to, but we've got to wrap things up here, at least this time around. Um, but we'd love to have you back on the, the program soon and, and continue if you're comfortable drilling into you know, some of the other interesting parts of the sector and maybe some interesting companies uh, in addition to the ones that we've talked about already, um, just for people to go investigate and explore. But uh, thank you so much as we end here. Where should people who have enjoyed this conversation go to learn more about you and your work? Well, I, I run a little gloom and doom website called dollarcollapse.com. And there's a, a button at the top that says join our email list. Uh, put your email address in there and I'll send you whatever I write on the site uh, for free and, and will not sell your information to anybody else. Great. And, you know, one thing I'll say, too, is John um, does a very valuable service every day at his site. And he, he compiles sort of the top headlines that he sees on the web around, you know, issues like 
currency devaluation, where we are in the macro um, picture of the economy, whatnot. Um, and so if you're looking for a really good digest of you know, current news in this space, uh, John does all the work for you and he makes it available on his site and his, in his emails for free. Um, with that, John, thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to talking to you soon again. And um, I'm going to go chat with uh, John and Mike now, but uh, hope to have you on the program again soon, John. Thanks so much. Thanks, Adam. See ya. All right, John and Mike, uh, wasn't kidding about that gift basket for John. I mean, he really just uh, put it right up there for you guys, uh, right there on the tee. Um, lots of volatility ahead. Um, uh, Got to be a nimble, um, active manager of your portfolio going forward. Um, big believer in hard assets, um, particularly loves gold and uh, silver and the gold and silver miners. Um, it really just sounds like he is sort of describing your guys' approach. So, uh, Mike, I think I let you go first last week. John, why don't we start with you? Um, what's your reaction to what John said? Yeah, I, uh, I'm scared because uh, we try really hard to make sure we're not in our own echo chamber. <laughs> so, no, I mean, uh, he, he's a very thoughtful guy, a very thoughtful uh, analyst, and, and uh, it doesn't surprise us at all that he comes to a very similar conclusion to ours. Um, so I, I do say jokingly that we're scared when we hear people agree with us because it, it is... Um, you know, it is helpful to, to challenge oneself often. Um, and we try to do that very much. And the last thing we want to do is hear just reinforcing voices because we need to challenge ourselves. But no, I, I think uh, he articulates a lot of the big picture things that we, we see and, and dive into the data and perceive and, and, and measure. Um, yeah, uh, so we'll welcome his voice along, along with ours uh, in that regard. All right, well, why don't we, um, I mean, Point of this part of the, the video is to talk about what you guys have seen going on in the markets since uh, since last week. Um, but we have seen just today um, a little bit of a cooling off in the precious metals. Um, Mike, let, let, let me hand it to you. But first, any uh, any additional reaction to John's material? And then secondly, um, uh, what are you guys seeing happening in uh, the, the precious metals part of the portfolio right now? Yeah, hi. Hi, Adam. I'm um, just taking a look through my notes here. I really enjoyed John's talk. You know, he talked about the fact that one of two things are going to happen, either another Great Depression or another runaway inflation, a.k.a., you know, Weimar Germany type thing. And, you know, he further says that the central banks and the, the policymakers have to keep re reacting. They have to keep shoveling money into the system. And I guess I'd just say, why? Why do they have to? You know, we just seem to be living in this paradigm where we just assume they have to. So we know how it ends. You know, he said that it ends in economic collapse or um, a runaway inflation. You know, and furthermore, he said he thinks we're in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. So we couldn't agree more. It's just, you know, my comment is that it's sad that we've been kind of pushed into a corner like this, all of us, and we weren't really asked our opinion about it, nor could we vote on it. You know, so these policies are putting us in a tenuous place. We don't really know exactly what's going to happen. You know, we think that probably some kind of deflationary collapse first, which is why we're holding a lot of, a lot of cash. But you know, it, it, we could easily be wrong, and we can go straight into hyperinflation, which is why we totally agree with John, that you know th that you should hold real assets: gold, silver, property, your own house, of course, usually, and then even some other property like rentals, and so. Um, yeah, I think we're living in the end game. It, the, the problem is that human life goes slowly compared to, um, or, or I should say reality goes slowly compared to the length of a human life or a career. So it can be easy to get, to just think that things are gonna stay this way forever. 
They're not. We, we're continuing to um, have very tight defenses. You ask, I think, as, as, you know, about what the market's done. It really hasn't done much. We're just floating along at the all-time high, 4,200 on the S&P. Gold has been in a nice uptrend with the exception of today. You know, we're still pretty conservative. We're, we've got some small, very modest gains in our accounts this, this year, low, very low single digits because of some key sectors that we've got exposure to and some precious metal mining stocks. But um, we're looking for better opportunity. Um, it, it, it's challenging because John talks about, you know, gold, silver. Um, John Rubino talked about that. And we can't just put 100% of people's money into gold or silver. They can do that themselves, I suppose. And it could very well be the right thing to do. We're still of the mind that having some core position in gold, silver, 5 to 20%, plus a big piece of cash, take advantage of lower prices is the way to go. So we're going to keep doing that. All right, great. And yeah, I mentioned the conference earlier. Um, uh, folks will see themselves this weekend, but um, there is a, it's not, it's not a universal, but it, it's a very common theme amongst most of them that um, they believe that the risks of the market getting away from the central planners uh, are, are high enough to really, um, you know, validate holding on to a core cash position right now uh, for exactly the reasons that you mentioned, right? I think almost everybody feels like the long, the long trend, uh, with the, perhaps the exception of, of Lacey Hunt, uh, who is a noted deflationist and makes a great case for increased deflation or continued deflation going forward. Um, but most of our, everybody else feels that the, um, the central bank's uh, demonstrated proclivity to do whatever it takes, uh, you know, printing wise, currency printing wise, uh, it pretty much guarantees in the long run um, that the prices of most everything, uh, particularly hard assets, is, is going to be higher. And even Lacey says, you know, he's willing to change his outlook if the Fed changes its, its stated policy, which um, the nuances that, of that are covered in the conference. But even Lacey is saying, hey, look, I can see scenarios where everybody else who's, who's recommending that higher inflation does prove to be right. Um, so it's hard. And, you know, Mike, you, you mentioned two quick things I want to just mention here as we, as we begin to get close to the end here. Um, one is, is that, um, you know, we, we were brought along this journey, we as a populace, um, you know, really without any say in the process. And, and most people haven't watched as closely as we, but those of us who have been watching closely have really pretty much been brought along kicking and screaming, you know, very much disagreeing with, with where things have been driven. Um, and what's interesting to me is, is the Fed and the other world central banks as well, but the Fed is, is you know, arguably the most important player in our national economy and markets, as well as the global economy and global markets. And we have no say in that, right? It, 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 the, the, the head of the Fed is appointed by the president. Um, and so we have a say by voting for the president, but you know, we just went through a, another presidential election not that long ago. And, and there really aren't that many questions dedicated during the debates to, you know, who are you going to put, what do you think the correct Fed policy is and who are you going to choose and why are you going to choose them? We're not having those public debates. We just get a guy in there and he slams somebody in and, and lo and behold, no matter the past bunch of administrations, all Fed chairs have pretty much operated from the same playbook. Um, so it is very unfortunate that we are kind of unwilling, unwitting and, and very much, I think, unwilling participants in how the ship estate is being run here policy-wise. Um, I also want to mention something that John wrote about years ago that has sort of been in, in, intimated in the discussion here, which is um, 
the people that we have in place running our economy and our financial systems, um, they are used to the environment that they have run their careers in. This goes to your point, Mike, about you know the short span of a career versus the arc of reality. So all they know is, is what they've experienced in their career. And as John was saying, you know, what we've had for the past you know, 50 plus years has been this, this rising tide um, of asset prices while uh, we've been in deflation or disinflation on the way down. Um, there, there's really almost nobody left in, in a professional role who was in a professional role in the early 70s when we were fighting inflation. Um, and so uh, where I'm going with this is, is the musculature of the experts that we have in place right now running the system may be the exact wrong musculature we need in place for what the future has in store for us, both with increased volatility, but if we are going into a secular inflationary period, um, you know, we have a system run by people who have never had to run a system uh, during an inf inflation. And so um, that's gonna create all sorts of unintended consequences, uh, unexpected uh, errors, bad decisions, et cetera. So um, you know, we've got this system that A, we didn't have a voice in putting in place, B, we don't like how it's being run, and C, the people who are running it, um, they may have exactly the wrong experience to take us through what's coming next. So sorry for the long diatribe, but I thought those points were all really important to make. John, let me hand the football back to you quickly as, as we wrap up here. Um, first off, I want to thank you and Mike for being my co-hosts for the upcoming conference. Again, folks, that's wealthion.com slash conference if you haven't uh, signed up for it yet. Um, but as we sort of begin to wrap up here, John, um, uh, as you look through your ball going forward, crystal ball going forward, you hear John, you know, kind of reiterate, this is the time to be guided by somebody who is aware of these macro risks and is looking at, you know, your portfolio, uh, you know, every day and making sure that uh, they are being nimble to how things are playing out here in this increasingly turbulent, uh, you know, future ahead. Um, for the folks that have been kind of, you know, managing their own money or, or unhappy with their current financial advisors, wh what would you tell them to look for in um, how to manage their money going forward in this new period? Yeah, well, especially now um, when, you know, one can look in the rearview mirror, perhaps folks have benefited by what has been a almost an unabated rise, uh, certainly since the, the lows of the uh, COVID crisis last March. Um, looking in the rearview mirror and kind of celebrating that kind of move can be very um, detrimental to one's clear thinking about what, what lies ahead. In fact, we, we humans have a tendency to kind of extrapolate all, all manner of things in, into indefinite um, future, whether they're going up or going down. And usually most things in life and certainly in financial markets don't always continue in that direction, right? It may, um, may be unbelievable to think the stock market ever go, goes down again, but it will, rest assured it will. Um, so, so what is really important is um, whether one is self-directed or working with an advisor, we think one of the very best questions you can ask is, is what is, what is your buy and sell discipline? What, you know, what um, kind of markers or data or metrics do you use to um, essentially adjust one's portfolio or, or allocation to risk or, or, or conservatism uh, in, a, in a proactive tactical way? Okay, it's, it's easy to buy, it's hard to sell and getting those decisions timing-wise right is very difficult. And we are the first ones to say it, it, it is not an exercise in precision. That it can't be, it never will be. Uh, it's just, it's about being in the neighborhood of right, in our opinion. Um, but that that discipline, because the alternative, frankly, is, 
is buy and hold, hold things forever. And, and, and frankly, with today's robo-advisors and, and uh, all kinds of financial technology, you can do that for free uh, and any better than a, than a human can. Um, so I, I would really uh, ask someone to firstly, what is their investment philosophy and being truthful about their investment philosophy? What, what, what would it feel like to lose 50% even though you made you know, you know, 30% over the last year or whatever? Um, and be truthful about um, one's ability to kind of ride the ups and downs because there, there is likely a very big down move coming as we've already talked about and we talk about nearly every week and having a discipline to think clearly about stepping out of harm's way, um, not jumping off at the wrong time and getting back in um, when things are somewhat more safe. Um, and, and that is easy to talk about, hard to demonstrate because it really comes down to data and systems and discipline. Um, one thing Mike and I and our team do very, we try to come in here every day and as if we have no memory, what would we do today based upon um, what we see in the data and what markets are telling us, so. All right, well, I think it's a great way to wrap it up here. Um, great insight advice. Folks, if you're watching, um, you know, I think the key message to take from the arc of this conversation is um, it really is time for active management. If you've got the ability, skills, and time to do that yourself, great. Um, ask yourself the questions that John just mentioned there. Um, but if you are looking for help, particularly if you're concerned about capital preservation or you know, prudently growing your wealth from here, you know, making sure that you're doing it in a very risk-adjusted, um, risk-mitigated manner, um, then go talk to a professional financial advisor who understands these risks. Uh, if you're one of the first people watching, if, the, if you're one of the people watching, you know, one of these wealthy on videos for the first time, you may or may not know that John and Mike, uh, through their firm, they offer a consultation to folks. Feel free to schedule one of them if you want. There's no strings attached. There's no obligation to work with them. They will just share their honest opinion of what they think you should be doing, given your personal financial situation. If you're interested in that, stick around at the end of the video. It's coming up in just a couple of seconds. Um, all right, guys, as we wrap up, I will see you guys tomorrow. Uh, Saturday, June 5th at Wealthion's conference. Um, it's going to be a great day. And for those of you watching, um, you're going to have great speakers. Um, Lacey Hunt, Grant Williams, Stephanie Pomboy, David Hunter, Lynn Alden, Matt Tybee, Mike Maloney, and others. Uh, you're also going to get an awful lot of John and Mike during the day. Um, so you can use that as sort of like a, a preview of kicking the tires along with them if you then want to schedule a consultation with them afterwards. Um, all right. So as we end up here, folks, if you enjoy these interviews, you want to see more like the ones we just did with John Rubino, please click the subscribe button below, as well as the little bell icon right next to it. If you want to see who are coming, uh, having come on the program in future weeks, or if you want to suggest a guest you'd like to see on the program, just follow me on Twitter at, at Menlo Bear. All right, John and Mike, as we say every week, no matter what happens from here, we will be tracking it together. I'll see you guys this weekend here on the channel next week. And uh, thanks for watching, everybody. See you tomorrow, Adam. Thank you. See you very soon, Adam. Thanks a lot. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. 
We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA but for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.